appetite for distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 238. My name is Brando. Momentarily going to be speaking with the guitarist of a twisted sister, JJ French. I'm really excited to talk to him for the second time in my career. First time was many moons ago, a young Brando up in Cape Cod. He was my second interview ever. I'm actually going to play you a clip of that after I speak with JJ and about his new podcast, The French Connection. I like it, so let's not waste any more time. JJ, what's going on? Hey, Brandon. Hey, JJ. How are you, sir? Good. Where are you located? I am in Queens, New York, so kind of oh, where you're freaking from. freaking Queens. You're like literally three miles from me, probably. Oh, I mean, we could be in studio together if there wasn't this little pandemic going yeah, around. Yeah, I'm on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I live on this slimy little piece of bedrock known as Manhattan. <laughs> okay. And I can say that because I was born on this slimy little piece of bedrock known as Manhattan. So when you're born and raised here, you can say those things. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. No, I, I love it because you're... Because I'm, I'm a Long Island guy, a New York guy, so I grew up uh, following your career, Twisted Sisters' career, and, and really quick, you were actually my second radio interview ever back when to A Twisted Christmas came out, and we got into a conversation. So happy, I think, sixth ninth of Hanukkah. I think that's what it is now. So we were talking about A Twisted Christmas, and we were talking about, I, I said, look at this, we had two Jews talking and promoting a Christmas album. And then you were funny. You were like, well, the Jews wrote all the good uh, Christmas music. So, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well. It, yeah, all these yeah. years later, you have a podcast to finally have that voice for your 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 uh, sense of humor and your intelligence. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, you know, um, next year will be the 15th anniversary of that Christmas record, which is crazy to think about it. Um, but, yeah, Jews do write the best Christmas songs. I mean, Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire, the original line was Latkes Floating in a Sea of Oil, but I don't think it was had the same... <laughs> Presence, <laughs> you know, you know, I know that. Okay, I like that. You know, lockers floating in a sea of oil. Anyway, <laughs> applesauce dripping on the plate. I know there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, we loved making the Christmas. I listen. My parents, my parents were, you know, non-religious Jews, so we we covered the bases. You know, we, you know, and besides, which, what's an agnostic? It's an atheist with a fallback position. If you think about it. Oh, you know? so wow, you and me, same place. I'm an agnostic. You know, so, it's a fallback. No, a hundred. Yeah, my, my parents just never cared one way or the other. I mean, I, I, I said to my mom one day, you know, how come I, how come my friends are getting bar mitzvah? What's a bar mitzvah? You know, she goes, oh, well, she goes, do you want to get bar mitzvah? I go, well, why not? You get all these gifts, you know? So she said, well, go to Hebrew school. Let me know how you feel. So I went one day, I came home. She goes, what'd you think? I said, I don't know. I thought it sucked. She goes, I could have told you that. <laughs> so I went, okay. I see that religious upbringing is not really happening in this household. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I have a podcast, which is great because I finally get a chance to uh, to talk and possibly make money at talking, which my daughter says, if I get paid for talking, I will be the richest person on the planet Earth. <laughs> um, and um, it's it's called the J.J. French Connection. They changed the name just a little bit. It's now called the J.J. French Connection Beyond the Music, but it's going to be primarily a music show. OK. And but it's going to be beyond it. So I like to go beyond it. I have other uh, interests in life besides just. The musician thing, you know, I'm a guitar collector, I'm a watch collector, I'm an, a high-end audio specialist kind of guy, I'm a Beatle guy, I write a Beatle column for uh, 
Goldmine magazine. I know way too much about the Beatles, way too much than most people should ever know. And yet there are guys who know so much more than me that I don't even understand why. Mm-hmm. And I've interviewed guys who know way more than me. And I go, do you have a life? At least I choose to have a life. You know, I choose to know what I need to know. I don't need to know that Paul and Ringo were walking down the street on February 16th, 1966. And Paul goes, your shoes untied at two in the afternoon. I don't need to know that freaking level of Beatle minutia. All right. However, I do know an awful lot more so than most people. And usually when my friends get together to talk Beatles, Mike Portnoy is another freaking Beatle fanatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Our wives have to leave the room. They just leave. <laughs> they go, you know, you people, I guess it's better than, you know, than like having groupies, you know, like at least we know they're just talking about four guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Then that's true. So uh, but, do you have a um, like a, a wish list? Because I'm assuming you would love to have Paul McCartney or Ringo on your podcast. Do you have like you know a, a wish list of guests? Yeah. Uh, well, right now, I tech, do who I really want right now, mm-hmm. as of last night, Okay. I want Barry Gibb. I just saw uh, the documentary. Okay. And I want Barry Gibb on a multitude of levels, not the least of which is I was a, a Bee Gees fan going back to 1967 with New York Mine Disaster, 1941. Uh, so I go back to their first single, at least the ones that we became aware of in the United States when that was their first big hit. And I thought it was the Beatles when I first heard it. So they were amazing. But the whole Saturday Night Fever phenomenon with Twisted Sister and the death to disco thing and the anti-disco thing and the Bee Gees being the target that we had for the disco thing was part of it. Plus, I always loved the music and the soundtrack anyway. So I always thought, you know, we were kind of like living a lie a little bit, you know, like it was like, I hate disco, I hate disco. Meanwhile, you know, I'd be listening to Saturday Night Fever and getting off on the on it. And eventually we we played the 2001 disco and defrocked it and made it a rock room. And the night that we de- we defrocked it, there's videos of me ripping up Travolta wallpaper and posters and smashing the, the crystal ball that they had in the movie. Mm. Um, and it was like smashing disco records and all this stuff. So uh, but the story of their survival. It's like the story of the Twisted Sister survival. You know, we were turned down more times in a bedsheet in a whorehouse and come back more times than Freddy Krueger. And mm. that is, that's the Bee Gees story, too. So I want Barry Gibb. But um, I've, I've had Mike Portnoy on uh, Rob Halford this, last week, which is available. You can listen to these podcasts because they're up there forever. D. Snyder starts today. Right. Next week, I've got a panel with the guys from Leonard Skinner, Whitesnake, and Def Leppard, which is really cool because... Oh. You know, here's all these classic rock bands. If you add up all the years that they've been together with Twisted, it's like 200 years of rock. (laughs) Yeah, to get a panel. I think that's really cool. It's really, you know, even for me, who's been in radio, obviously, I I told you, I can't, you just mentioned 15 years. So I guess my first interview with you was 15 years ago. But uh, it's obviously radio has changed. Podcasting has changed where we get to have panels. We get to have our our own kind of own news network in a way. So I'm glad you get to... uh, you know, to get this outlet. And I, it's funny what your daughter said, but I want to ask you, cause I know you have a lot of yeah. other interviews to do. And speaking of right. D cause he was on um, my show not too long ago. And I wanted to ask him something and maybe get your opinion on it as well. Okay. Cause this is a, um, if you'd recognize the name of the podcast, appetite for distortion, it's a play of words, appetite for destruction. So it's mm-hmm. a, a GNR theme. So I asked D cause he said years ago, and you had an opinion too, about like uh, some of these bands, like, that were classic rock bands that don't have all the same uh, members that they're just cover bands. So I asked mm-hmm. D about, I mean, I know GNR's kind of got back together a little bit, but the Rose and Rose comments when it was just Axel and company. So I guess I kind of want to know your feelings in Guns N' Roses and 
where they are now and, and how they reunited with with Slash, but it's really not quite the same. So I guess wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, unlike D, I'm not as um, rigid. If the public buys it, that's all that matters. Okay. If they don't buy it, then that's what matters. So you can go out there, and if you're selling something that doesn't live up to what the public believes in, then you're uh, you're out of business, you know. And yet, if you figured out a way to do it and you're still in business, then more power to you. I just look. Life is hard. It's hard in every way for everybody. And being a musician and entertainer is really hard. You know, you can't take it lightly if you have some success. And if you and if the public buys it, who am I to say? I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to be like Pollyannish. I'm not trying to be like Kumbaya-ish about it. But at the end of the day, if you are selling a product based on a certain level of nostalgia and you don't live up to it, then you'll know because the public will say no. But if the public comes back, I mean, and who hasn't been affected? I mean, my God, if you look at the, if you look at the Mount Rushmore of rock, which is Beatles, Stones, Who's Up, Floyd, Queen, I, I kind of look at them and ACDC. That, that's a Mount Rushmore, okay, right, of rock right there. I mean, the Beatles obviously you have Paul and Ringo because John's gone, George is gone. You know, Zeppelin has chosen not to go back because they can't do it. But you know, you had Jason Bonham filling in. You know, the Who, you've got two members, and and from all from all reports, they're doing great. They sound amazing. Uh, You know, these bands change people all the time. You know, you go to see the Eagles. They're not my favorite act, but, you know, they give their fans what they want. You know, I mean, sure, it takes 55 guys on stage to replicate Hotel California. (laughs) But if you want that shit, you know, if you want it, they give it to you. The only major band that does suck live is the Rolling Stones. And and they're awful. I mean, you know, and the Stones fans don't clap between songs. They're afraid the lights will go on in the arena. So the bottom line is is that they're the only band that insists that you watch them decompose in front of your face. And that's the only thing I have against them is that here's a band that I regard as one of the greatest greatest bands in the world. And I saw the stones back in the sixties when they truly were one of the greatest bands in the world. I mean, flat out, unbelievable. Those shows in Madison square garden in 69. And I was at all three, including the matinee show, which most people don't talk about. They did a matinee during Thanksgiving weekend. Some of the greatest rock experiences, one of the greatest bands on the planet. And you listen to what they do now and you go, really? They can't just hire two 25 year old kids from Nashville to stand behind the stage and at least play the songs on key. Mm-hmm. Like you have to watch them like be this, this, they're just, I don't buy it when every other major act that has been around for a million years tries to at least construct their bands in a manner that makes them sound good. That's what you want. But you know what? They get away with it. Stones fans pay a lot of money. You want to see Keith on a high def screen. That's your business. You okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that's your business. And I am a massive Keith fan. My guitar playing is built around his guitar solos. I love these guys. I just don't understand that. But putting them aside, again, you're in a band. It's classic. you got hits that people's lives are built around. If you can replicate it well enough for the fan to spend some stupid money to go see you and they walk away happy, who am I to say? Right on. I, I absolutely understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. And uh, I, I wish I could talk to you longer. I can't wait to, you know, I hope we get to do this again. But the good thing is we get to hear you talk more and more. So you're doing what, an episode a week. How uh, how often are you going to be putting out these? I'm, uh, I'm taping an episode a week, and right now I'm running two weeks in, in advance. Um, so the, today starts the D Snyder interview, which is great because he's great. 
you know, it's great. We have the, you know, we, when you hear me and D talk, it's like we're in our dressing room, you know, like mm-hmm. having the conversation. So that's great. Uh, the Rob Halford interview that's up now too is great. The Mike Portnoy interview, God, Mike only did one show this year and that was mine as a favor to me. I love Mike and Mike is like the hardest working man in the world. I introduce him on stage as the drummer for the Beatles to Stones, Floyd, who Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix experience, Cream, the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Airplane. Cause the guy's so damn busy. I don't even know how he processes what he does. And we get into that conversation of how he does that next week. I've got a panel discussion with the guys with members of Leonard Skinner, um, uh, White Snake and Def Leppard. Right. And that's exciting because I get to talk to these guys who I've known, and we talk about things that we know about. We talk about what it's like to be a classic rock band in an era like this, our longevity, what our responsibilities are to our fans. You know, this is like really important stuff. And I love it. And I hopefully will expand my podcast into other things um, as time goes on. You know, I will have UFO experts because I'm just like, whoa, I want to know about conspiracy okay. theories with UFO. That's you know? cool. But that's down the line. You know, that may happen. I'm into politics. I'm into conspiracy theories. I'm into UFOs. But I'm also into guitar collecting and watches and wine and and who knows what else. It'll go Beatles, obviously, and it'll 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 probably reach out. But right now, uh, I'm getting Nuno Betancourt from Extreme this week. To oh, nice. Interview him. And that'll be on. We'll talk Eddie Van Halen talk and and uh, and we'll keep it focused like that. So we'll keep it. That's why it's called the J.J. French Connection beyond the music. It's the music. And more as as time goes on. So it's on Apple. It's on Apple iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on Podcast One. And you can hear me. I also have a book coming out uh, in June called Twisted Business. So there's a lot happening. Is that a bit? Is that a, I'm assuming it's a business book. Or can you tell well, us it's about a bi- it's, it's a biz war. What, what's that? Uh, uh, well, it's a it's a new phrase. You oh, know, rom com. You know, rom com is a oh, romantic comedy. Okay, bizwar. Bizwar is a business memoir. Okay. So I mean, what business book isn't a memoir and a business book? If you think about it, the only way a guy in business can write about business is he tells you about his life because his life tells you how he ran his business ah, and I see. why he became what he became. So I I call it a bizwar, and um and that book will be out. It's called Twisted Business. We're not going to take it. And it tells the story of me and the band and its evolution. And, um, you know, hopefully answers a lot of questions that people have. Um, but it's a business book because I'm a business entrepreneur. I do motivational speaking. I can be hired as a motivational speaker. I do business conferences up until the pandemic. That's what I did. And it was amazing to me because I was hired not by necessarily music organizations like I thought, but I was hired by um, – like banking groups and, 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 and travel agencies and, and uh, travel, you know, like it's the weirdest, the weirdest groups would hire me insurance companies because it's motivational because what I talk about is success in business, which transcends rock and roll. It's hmm. every business is the same lesson. It's just that rock and roll is a sexy foundation. How did so, you get into, into that? Were you into business before being in a band or being in a well, band? No. Okay. I, don't forget, I, I've been, the band's 48 years old. So um, I took over as manager in 1976. And then was, and then between 1976 and now, I've managed the band about 37 of those years. So I learned on the job. Okay, that's what I was wanting to see. Is don't learn on, because not everyone learns on the job. People can be in your well, position. Well, first of all, most people don't do this. There are very few musician managers, very few. It's they're two very different skill sets, you know, and um, Dave Clark is one. Okay. Mick, Fle- Mick Fleetwood is one, but you can name them on one hand. Hmm. The point is you can name them on one hand. It's just, it's, it's not a natural fit. It's a natural fit for me. Cause I don't regard myself as a musician 
truthfully, I regard myself as a businessman who plays guitar. Interesting. Okay. So, and, and that changed over the years. I was originally going to be just a rock you know, guitar player, but over time it changed. So now I'm a business guy that plays guitar. And, uh, um, one VH1 did ask me a question years ago. They, when they were doing one of those, where are they now kind of thing. Right. And they said to me, well, you're a musician and a, and a, and a manager. How do you, how, how can you explain the difference? And I had never been asked that question until that moment. And at that moment, my response was this. I said, well, this is as we listen to an ambulance coming up the street. No, that's all right. <laughs> that's the way right. the world is now. Welcome to New York City. Exactly. Dude, I live near I, a hospital, too. I, didn't know, so I thought it might have been outside my window because I also live near a hospital. So yeah. glad it's so not you. <laughs> so, uh, so when they asked me that question, I thought about it, and this was my response. I said, well, when you go to a circus, almost every circus at the end of the circus, if it's a fairly large circus, ends with the elephants coming out, walking around in a circle with their trunks attached to the tails of the elephant in front of them. Right. I said, and behind the last elephant is a guy who's sweeping up the elephant shit. I said, so basically the guy who's sweeping up the shit is a manager. Okay. <laughs> and they said, who's a musician? I said, that's the elephant. <laughs> so you clean up your own shit is really what it is. really what it's about. You know, uh, it's a, it's a strange skill set. Awesome. And I possess, I possess it, but it also gives me incredible insight. And, and by the way, I only got into the business of motivational speaking because I attended a, uh, a social media event with my wife. She was supposed to be on a panel and they had a speaker named Steve Farber, who was an incredible motivational speaker with best-selling books. And after he was done, I was so blown away with what he did. I raised my hand, asked a question. We went out to lunch and he said to me, you know, you'd be great in this. And he basically became my mentor and got me in the business. And then we got a book deal and he's my co-writer in my book. So, awesome. uh, so that's how I got into the business of motivational speaking. Um, Things are going well for you, JJ. It's, you know, you, you retire from being in Twisted Sister, but you are, it seems to be as busy as ever. So I, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I hope we get to do this again. I want to pick your brain for a lot more things. Well, thank you very much. You know, Twist is still alive and well on the on, on in the music. We're not going to take it. I want to rock it. The two most licensed songs in the history of heavy metal, by the way, and and we keep the spirit there. And I want to just also say the memory of AJ Pirro, who I love dearly. My mm. drummer passed away in 2015. Yeah, I want to just mention his name and thank you for your support and the podcast. You can listen to it whenever you can, and hopefully, when my book comes out in June, we can do this again. Sounds great. Thank you so much, JJ. You have a great day. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. Nice. I've wanted to get JJ on the show for for the longest time, to be completely honest with you. For him to be my my second interview ever, and I'll play you the the clip of that in a, in a moment. Uh, it's it obviously always has stuck with me. And being from New York and growing up on Long Island, there was always that connection to Twisted Sister, which you know you may have heard uh, D. Snyder and I talk about during that that episode, being uh, both from Baldwin, uh, Long Island. So, you know, and I've gotten to work with the bassist, uh, Mark Mendoza, in a past radio life. And I'm glad JJ brought up uh, AJ uh, Pirro. It, uh, oddly enough, AJ worked on that radio show that Mark Mendoza worked on. But by the time, like, where my timeline comes in, AJ had already passed away. So I had never met him. But I, I've heard nothing but amazing things. So. So what a pleasure to speak with J.J. French all these years later. So let me play you this clip 
of a young Brando, 2006. And we'll reminisce about that year as GNR fans, 2006. While I speak to uh, Twisted Sisters J.J. French, my second interview ever about a twisted Christmas. Hello, it's J.J. French and Twisted Sister. I need to ask this. You're from New York, correct? I'm from Manhattan. I was born in Brooklyn. You are Jewish, correct? Yes, I am. I am Jewish as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, I may have a first. Two Long Island Jews promoting a Christmas CD. Well, only Jews make the best Christmas music. I know. And and, and I don't know if a Hanukkah album is coming. Maybe Adam Sandler will do it. That would be great. Twisted Sister with uh, Adam Sandler. (laughs) Doing like a metal version of... uh, Yeah, Dreidel, Dreidel. (laughs) Oh, my God. A metal version. (laughs) Now I'm excited. Now you have to do it. <laughs> I was with the Jewish humor from day one. I am who I am. So that's just a fun memory to relive. Uh, of course, I wish I had the whole thing of it. Uh, same thing with Bumblefoot and my, all my my early interviews where they, they didn't come as often as they seem to be coming now. And it's all through this platform, which is just still mind-boggling. So just awesome to talk to J.J. French all these years later and just think about it. 2006, that was a pretty good year for a Guns N' Roses fan, right? It was their Chinese Democracy Comeback tour in a way. I believe it was Bumblefoot's first tour with them. So you kind of felt good as a fan. We were still a couple years away from Chinese Democracy, but, you know, it was the, the excitement was in the air. You know, the, the, it's, it's coming. Something's coming. <laughs> we don't know when. Soon is the word, which I'll say momentarily and we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in future podcasts uh as this year and do we do we expect anything from them next year you know where is the excitement with this band i know it's hard to be excited about anything right now other than a vaccine so does the excitement come back for new music when you know they tour again or when we get closer to those dates i don't know I mean, we, we tend to build up so much excitement as this band. You know, there was that leaked, fake, like an itinerary of a of a new album release that came out. And you know, unfortunately, many fans thought it was real. You know, it was a well-done Photoshop make, you know, to the, the layman. Um, I guess including me because I'm, I'm not a – I mean, I didn't think it was real at first because it's like – because with GNR, what, what's real – but I'm also somebody who can be fooled by a good Photoshop. It was it was called out right away. But obviously, there are fans who still believe it was real. And the date I think was this was like a few weeks ago. Came and went, as I knew it would. But there was always that. There's always that part of you that's like, maybe, just maybe, you know, they'll they'll drop an album. Uh, I mean, that's when you had that with Chinese Democracy. At least you knew something was coming. I think we know something's coming, right? We've heard a lot of different things on this podcast from Susan Holmes McKagan, right? I, I know uh, some of you uh, don't like the generic answers that are given by her or by uh, Dizzy Reed or Richard Fortas when they mention new music or even Slash and Duff, you know, show me. So we'll save that for another podcast. Anyway, that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Continue to talk in between the podcast. Uh, I am always taking guest suggestions. I will say this. I'm looking forward to having uh, another Riot episode in a Riot series. We're going to do uh, a, a focus group, I guess. <laughs> or maybe it's going to be a therapy session. We'll see what happens about the uh, 2002 
Philadelphia riot. We're going to have three fans on that I'm not sure if all three know each other. I don't know. That's what I'm going for. I want to get different perspectives, and I'm sure a lot of them will overlap, you know, because it's you're seeing the craziness, but I, I want to get the, the subtleties of the differences of, of, of that experience and also to to join us together as Guns N' Roses fans. We can't meet each other at concerts this year, so let's meet let's meet each other through this podcast. How does that sound? So that's on the way. Uh, we'll see how many more guests, actual uh, big-name guests, I get before the end of the year because things are getting a bit crazy. I will say uh, next couple weeks I'm going to be filling in a lot at Q1043 in New York City, waking up early. We'll see how <laughs> – which just makes me too tired to do this, to be honest with you. But again – uh, follow on social media for all updates. Facebook.com slash the AFD show. Twitter at the AFD show. Instagram, Appetite for Distortion. Please follow and subscribe on YouTube. However you listen, iHeartRadio or Spreaker or Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you can leave a review, please do so. Thank you so much. Until the next episode, when we see it, well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Yeah! security, I'm going home.